Good evening. Turn to Colossians chapter 4. Our study will begin at verse 7 and move over to the end of Colossians chapter 4. This is our final class in Colossians. On Sunday, we begin a study of selected psalms. And so on Sunday morning, we will cover chapter 1. We're not going to cover all of the psalms, but we have some that have been selected for the next several weeks, and that will begin on Sunday. Tonight, we'll finish up in Colossians in chapter 4, starting at verse 7 over through verse 18. We'll read that in a moment after prayer. Heavenly Father, be with us as we study and learn that we might take all of this teaching to heart, that we might learn to be better disciples and encouraged to please Thee in all that we do every day. In Christ's name, amen. Colossians chapter 4, I'm going to start at verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is typical of Paul's epistles. Near the end of an epistle, he addresses people by name. It becomes very warm and personal when you get to these chapters. It shows how Christians were connected and how well they treated each other and thought of each other under, of course, the ultimate example and leadership of Jesus Christ. Let's begin at verse 7. We know very little about this man Tychicus. You can gather up some references to him in just a handful of passages in the New Testament and you discover in those passages his work with Paul his association with Paul, but there's not a neatly coherent narrative that takes you through the man's life. 
Here's what is important about Tychicus. He was a faithful minister and fellow servant with Paul in the Lord. Now, we have curiosity that we take into passages like this. Where was he born? Who were his parents? How did he hear the gospel? What about his family? We don't have complete answers about all that. In fact, we cannot even gather up much speculation about all that. But here's what's important about anyone's life. Their relationship to the Lord. This man was faithful and he would communicate to the Colossians about Paul's activities and he would be an encouragement to the Colossians as stated in verse 8. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Very good warm relationships between Paul and Tychicus and the members of the church in Colossae. Questions or comments before we continue? Next, in verse 9, Onesimus. Now we know something about him. We know that Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. And we know from the book of Philemon that Onesimus had left his master for some reason and wound up in Rome. Somehow he came in contact with Paul and became a Christian. That's probably where we're going to plug in that word providence. He is being sent back to Philemon, who was a member of the church in Colossae. He was now, here's the description, a faithful and beloved brother. And a member of the church in Colossae, Paul said, he is one of you. He would be traveling and working with Tychicus, coming to Colossae together to report about Paul and to impart encouragement to the members of the church in Colossae. So this is about good men who may not be as prominent as Paul and Peter and Timothy and Luke. But this is about good men doing what they're able to do in the best way they are able as companions of Paul and servants of the Lord. Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place. Good men involved with the Apostle Paul doing the Lord's work and living right. Verse 10, Aristarchus. We know from other passages in the New Testament that Aristarchus was a Thessalonian. And he had accompanied Paul on his second and third journeys. Could have been that he was in and out with Paul through those second two journeys. The first time Luke mentions him in the book of Acts, he is with Paul in Ephesus. He and Gaius were seized during a riot 
that had been stirred up by the silversmiths in that city. You can read about that in Acts 19.29. Both of these men are introduced as men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel. In Acts 27.2, Aristarchus is referred to as a Macedonian of Thessalonica. Now, being with Paul so much, it is likely that he became a fellow prisoner with Paul because he was associated with Paul. He was involved with Paul, preaching the same message, doing the same work, and helping Paul, and committed to the same work. Here, he sends greetings to the church at Colossae, and he's associated with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Paul is urging the Colossians to welcome, to receive Mark if he comes. He was John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, with whom Paul had a disagreement on a matter of judgment earlier, but they were obviously now on good terms at this point. What that tells us is a disagreement on a matter of judgment, as illustrated by Paul and Barnabas with regard to John Mark back in the book of Acts, does not have to create a permanent breach in a relationship. So these are good men. They're associated with Paul and the church at Colossae. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Here's a question I want to stop and bring up for all of us. If Paul were here today, preaching the gospel, but he's under threat of prison and death, and he's being stalked by the Roman authorities. You know where I'm going with this. Would we be close to him? Would we help him? Would we work with him side by side? Would we support him? Would we want to be identified with him or... Would we want to keep our distance from the man? Now that's a question of faith, isn't it? These men overcame weakness and temptation, and they got on board with Paul for the sake of the Lord's cause. That must have been a tremendous encouragement for Paul and for Christians in Colossae and Philippi and places where they knew that Paul had people associated with him in his final days. Your comments before we continue. Jesus, who is called justice. All that we know about this person is what is stated in this verse. Our curiosity seeks background and history and context. We don't know under what circumstances this person became a Christian. His inclusion with these other co-workers with Paul is really all we know, and it is sufficient to commend him as being associated with what Paul was doing. And then this statement, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort for me. That phrase, of the circumcision, simply means Jews. Paul enjoyed the company of these 
few, and they prove to be a comfort to him. We should give comfort to other Christians who labor and struggle to do what is right under very difficult circumstances. And we ought to receive that same kind of comfort from God's people when we are under difficult circumstances. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Before we take up the next paragraph, your comments, your remarks about this would be welcome. There were two different kinds of imprisonment that Paul went through, and it's difficult to track exactly the dates of that. Part of it was house arrest, where they just governed everything you did. If, if they had had the technology, it would be an ankle bracelet, such as people use in law enforcement today. That was part of the time. In his final imprisonment, it was a brutal, dark dungeon, which, by the way, People were talking about movies earlier, and I inserted myself. Don't want to spoil anything. But the recent movie about the Apostle Paul doesn't get everything right, and I'm disappointed about some things. I'll let you decide when you see it. But what they get right is the persecution of Christians in Rome, where Christians were actually put up on poles and set on fire to be used as human torches while the Romans carried on all their parties and festivals and everything. The movie gets that right. And the darkness of that dungeon where Paul is, that comes across very well in that movie. Uh, all right, so much for movies. That's, uh, that's the way the imprisonment worked. Part of the time it was house arrest, and part of the time it was rather brutal. And there, there could be beatings... Uh, just at the whim of a guard. There's a scene in the movie where the guard just having a bad day. And he beats prisoners. That's the way it was in the Roman Empire. Christians were victims of that. 12 to 18. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand 
Remember my chains, grace be with you. I want to make this point in case I don't have time in the end to make it. In modern times, we think that we are really well connected with our cell phones and email and text messaging and blogs and videos. We may have the impression that with our technology, we are able to better connect than a former generation. I don't know about that. It may be that in some ways our technology separates us more than it connects us. I'll talk about that some other time, but I think you know what I mean. Consider Christians in New Testament times. No postal service like we have, if you still use postal service. No transportation methods comparable to what we have. No phones or cell phones or computers, no email, no texting, yet they knew each other so well. And near the end of several letters written by Paul, there's this list of people. It's like Paul's contact list. People that he knew and people that knew him, people known by the churches he wrote to. So we ought not to be arrogant about our technology and claim that we are better connected. We may not be better connected. Here in Colossians 4 and in Romans 16 and 2 Timothy 4, Christians in that primitive era were well connected in spite of the absence of technology. Maybe they were better for it. These Christians were connected. I think that is because they wanted to be connected. If you want to be connected with someone, though you may not have the technology they have or the technology that will come to pass in 50 years, you'll make an effort to be connected with these people. These people loved each other. They wanted to help each other. They endeavored to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's lesson number one from this text. The same love, the same sense of family ought to be something very important to every one of us. I want us to keep that in mind as we move through these next few verses. Epaphras, verse 12. Have we already met this man? He's mentioned in Colossians 1, verse 7. That earlier reference says the Colossians had learned the gospel from him. So we conclude that he functioned in a teaching-preaching capacity. He worked with Paul and is also mentioned in Paul's letter to Philemon. Paul evidently held this man in high regard. Notice what this tells us about a servant of Christ. A servant of Christ will be involved laboring fervently or struggling hard for Christians in prayer. This is not an occasional word or two in prayer. Lord, remember so-and-so in Christ's name. It seems to be more than that. I believe this tells us that when Epaphras addressed God in prayer, 
he spoke fervently and emotionally and at some length about his brothers and sisters in Colossae. It was more than just a phrase or two that he repeated. I believe we should think about this expression, labored fervently. In uh, verse 12, and in the English Standard Version, struggling on your behalf in his prayers. You know, that requires thought and time and energy, and it can be exhausting to pray like this. There was a focused intensity about this man's prayers for the Colossians, and we need to learn how to pray with this level of intensity and fervency. In prayer, we're talking to God, and that should involve more than just a ritualistic repetition of words that we use all the time. Observe what he prayed for when he talked to God about his brethren, that they might stand perfect and be complete in all the will of God. English Standard Version, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Do you know of anybody who doesn't need that kind of prayer? You know of anybody who is at such a level <clears throat> of completeness and maturity that we don't even need to mention them in our prayers. I, I just don't think so. I should be willing to talk to God about my level of maturity and ask God to help me elevate that level of maturity or enrich that level of maturity. And I should be anxious to talk to God about my brethren and their level of maturity and ask God to equip them to be richer and deeper in their level of maturity. You're beginning to see how these people were well connected without email or texting. This is one example of how these people were united and linked together in love. Epaphras is with Paul far away from Colossae, but close to him in prayer. That's important. More about Epaphras. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you. I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and those in Heropolis. In Asia Minor, in New Testament times, there wasn't really suburban communities as we use the expression. However, metropolitan areas were often clustered around good climate, a port, a major industry, and sometimes a river, and that's the case here. The Lycus River Valley wound around through these cities, uh, Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. We know there were Christians in those cities. Apparently, they were connected I think probably if you want to talk about how they were connected, it was probably mostly by feet. They're going to take this letter to Laodicea, and they're going to receive a letter from Laodicea. I think that's going to involve feet, or maybe animals, beasts of burden, but didn't have the technology we have, but they wanted to be Connected, They had a genuine care for each other expressed by the, work, the great zeal or in this translation, hard work. That's the kind of man Epaphras was. He's worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea 
and Hierapolis. The NIV says, I vouch for him that he's a hard worker. He's working hard for you. Genuine care for people is hard work. It involves great zeal and fervent prayer. This is how these Christians were connected. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. We know Luke well as one of the disciples, the writer of uh, Luke and, uh, and the book of Acts, traveled with Paul, and he is here designated as the beloved physician. And the movie gets that right. Then Paul mentions Demas, who was a co-worker with Paul at this point, <clears throat> and is mentioned favorably in Philemon, but in Paul's final days, when he was down in that dungeon, Demas deserted Paul. We know that from the reference in 2 Timothy 4, having loved this present world. Verse 15, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. We have a translation difference here in verse 15. Um, anyone spot that? If you compare the New King James and the ESV and the NIV, you don't know whether Nympha is in the masculine or the feminine. Now, when you come to discrepancies like this, they're never monumental things. There was a person by this name, whether the scribe got it right as masculine or feminine, and it does, it's not a monumental thing. It's a manuscript variation of little consequence. Translators take all these manuscripts and look at them, and sometimes they sort of use a majority rule. And sometimes translators will say, well, we've used the majority rule, but we want you to know that in these manuscripts there was this difference from these. And that may well be what's happening here. Local churches had to have a place to meet. Often in the first century, they were located in houses. Verse 16 brings us to another important aspect of how well connected these Christians were. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. I want to bring up something here very simple. Three times in one verse, this little word, read, read. Paul said, when this epistle is read among you. Paul expected the Christians in Colossae to read what he wrote to them. And I take it from the expression among you that this reading would be done when they were together. You ever get an email and you forward it to 15, 16 people? But this was not like that. They were together and there would be these readings and that's what he's talking about here. Then he says, let others read it. So what this all goes to is the circulation of the New Testament documents. These writings were to be read in the various churches. And then these writings were to be circulated, forwarded. They were to be shared. Eventually, all the writings of these inspired men were collected. And we have the result in the New Testament. But I wanted to say to us, we need to be Bible readers in our assemblies. 
That reading will generate and maintain our faith in Christ. Bible reading informs our choices. The reading of the Bible together is a vital part of our connection to each other. And it ought to be a part in families, where families read the Bible together. So, if I could share one thing just about this latter part of Colossians, in addition to the connecting idea, it would be we need to read Scripture together. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Archippus had some task that isn't specified here. Paul wanted to encourage him to do that well. Do you know what this connects to? Back in chapter 3, do you remember when I was talking to you about the scope statements? And do you remember, for instance, in verse 17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I'm thinking Archippus needs to dwell on that, and that's Paul's point. Then in verse 23 of chapter 3, that other scope statement, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So connect all that now with Archippus in verse 17. See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Ministry means serving some way. Serving some way. We don't know exactly what this was, but we know that it's covered <clears throat> in those previous scope statements about whatever you do. And then the final verse, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Final statement you'd like to make about this section we've studied tonight. Questions, comments about what we've studied tonight. Very impressive. And, and think of how that courage was fueled by the people who were around him. And he said, I receive much comfort from these people. I'll tell you what, some people want to be isolated Christians. They want to just say, well, I'm a Christian, but this church business, oh, I'm, I'm not about all that. I don't need to be connected with anybody. I'm just going to, I tell you, when you read about Christians in the New Testament and you come to sections like this, they were not just connected through some sort of list or directory. They were warm and comforting to each other, helpful to each other. They knew each other by name. I'm really impressed by that. As I said earlier, our technology may in some ways actually separate us. Instead of face-to-face, -face, it's going through the cloud. These people, these people were connected. Maybe, maybe had to walk great distances just to see other Christians. Anything else? I picked out, to sort of summarize what we have studied in Colossians, one statement from every chapter. So I'm going to put these statements up and use them to sort of 
summarize what we've studied in the book of Colossians. There is a key statement in chapter 1 and verse 18 that may be considered as the theme of the Colossian letter, that in all things he, that's Christ, may have the preeminence. There were false teachers in Colossae and Hierapolis and Laodicea. There were false teachers everywhere Christians were in the first century. And they would come in with some other message or some spin or some adaptation of the gospel. And Paul is saying to them, Christ has to be your priority. He has no competitors. There's nothing to substitute what he did for you and the teaching he gave for you. Let him have the preeminence in all things. And then the follow-up to that in chapter 2, verse 10 would be, you are complete in him. There is a fullness and sufficiency that you have in Christ that cannot be supplemented. You remember, I've said this many times in our study of Colossians. Somebody will come along maybe and say to you, well, I, I realize that you're a follower of Christ and that's good. And I think Christ was a great man. But I've got something that will really add to that. No, they don't. Christ has no competitors. There is no substitute. You are complete in Him. And so, chapter 3, verse 1, Seek those things which are above where Christ is. If Christ is preeminent, if you are complete in Him, then seek those things that are above where Christ is at the right hand of God. Then in chapter 3 and chapter 4, it all goes to practical. It all goes to application. Walk in wisdom toward those that are outside, redeeming the time, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Everything that's practical, everything that's in the category of application is a product of our faith in who Christ is and what He did, His preeminence and His sufficiency. That's the book of Colossians. Questions or comments? A really good idea I have for you. I don't know when your bedtime is, but it doesn't take long. When you get home tonight, read the Colossian letter and just let it all come together that we've been talking about. Just read the Colossian letter. Don't skip your regular daily Bible reading, but read the Colossian letter tonight. And uh, that will help you. Then I have another reading assignment for you before Sunday. Psalm chapter 1. Here's what we're looking at over the next few weeks. And we may get, we may get into June and July. And, and if this is going well, we can continue it. Uh, maybe something else we decide we want to do. But for now, here's what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks. 
selected psalms. We're not going to go through verse by verse the entire book of Psalms, but I've selected some. So chapter 1 and chapter 15 and chapter 63 and and uh, Psalm 107, there's a gap in here because I'm going to be away for a couple of weeks, a meeting and actually some vacation time. Going to be away a couple of weeks. And then when I come back uh, on the 16th, Psalm 220, uh, no, 2104 and on down through there. And we'll do this for a few weeks and see how that works. And so you have two assignments. Read Colossians when you get home before you go to bed. Um, may have to turn off your digital devices. Get that done unless you read on a digital device. And then Psalm chapter 1 for Sunday. Thank you very much for your good attention to our study.